Alright, we're glad that you're here. Now, I'm going to tell you from the get-go, this is going to be an interesting lesson. Just because, in relying on the wonders of modern technology, I only have half of my outline. It didn't sync with my computer, so... Um, Anyway, I'm just going to have to wing the last part of the lesson, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Marissa um, <laughs> said keep it short, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, maybe it won't tonight. We'll see. But if I don't get started, it'll be even worse. So. But our lesson for tonight is on the One Word series. This is our 26th lesson in the series, and... Uh, of course, we've had you know a few weeks where we have singing nights and things of that nature. Um, we've had some really good lessons in, in this series and some that, that I probably wouldn't have picked up on my own maybe. Um, but I've enjoyed doing it. I think it's been a, a good series for us. I hope that you've enjoyed being able to follow along with the book as well. But our lesson for tonight is on the word church. As we look at the word church, it's a, a word that, that maybe we don't completely understand the meaning of. But when we look at the word church, we, we understand that Jesus promised his apostles that he would one day build a church based on a foundation of faith in him. Now, his church would never be defeated by the gates of Hades or the grave or the powers of its ruler, Satan. We understand that the church would, would survive all things that we could think of in this world. Though God's people have gathered in different ways throughout the centuries and for different purposes, the church that Jesus promised is in existence. And we are part of that promise. This is something that Jesus promised well before time. Uh, well, before our time, anyway. Um, and we see the concept of it going back even as far as the Old Testament. We'll look at that in a moment. But as we look at the word church, uh, certainly we understand, at least to some degree, what it is. The church is defined by many as called out, although we do understand that uh, the church, I believe in all but maybe one, one spot, uh, it, it refers to the church, the followers of Christ, but we also understand that it can be referred to in different ways. It's referred to a legislative, a legislative body of, of leaders. Uh, so it, it can be a gathering of, of different people, but from a scriptural standpoint, we understand mostly the church to be the called out, the people of God, the followers of Christ. Now, as we look at the word church, our lesson objectives for tonight is first of all to learn what is meant in Scripture by the word church and how it applies to us as believers in Christ. Secondly, to learn what God wants us to know about His church and His people. And thirdly, to apply our knowledge of church to our understanding of what God wants us to be. As we look at the beginnings of the church, or at least the concept of the church, we understand that God's people gathered for different purposes. And going back to the Old Testament, we see that even though the word that we use for church, the Greek word ekklesia, is not used, uh, there is a word that is similar to it, kehal, 
And that word is used to refer to the gathering of God's people. And again, though the church was not yet in existence, God's people did gather for various purposes. I want to start in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, and let's look at verses 38 and 39. Acts 7, and beginning with verse 38. It says, This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. Although the time predates the establishment of the church, the concept of the church was present even in the Old Testament times. The Israelites gathered from time to time for matters of defense, first of all. Look at Esther chapter 8, verse 11, chapter 9, verse 2, and also verses 15 through 18. We understand that they gathered for the transporting of the Ark of the Covenant, the way that they transported the laws that God had given the people. First uh, Kings chapter eight and verse two, and also Second Chronicles chapter five and verse three. It was used for the assembling of the elders, Deuteronomy chapter thirty-one, verse twenty-eight, or the tribes, as we read in the book of First Kings. Another reason that the congregation of God's people gathered was to hear a reading of the law, Exodus chapter thirty-five and verse one, for instance. Uh, has this in place. Exodus 35 verse 1 Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Although the New Testament Greek word ekklesia is not used in these cases, instead the, the Hebrew kehal is used. But God's people did gather for similar purposes as his church might gather today. So even though the concept of the church was uh, in the distant future, we see that there was uh, a gathering of God's people, a congregation of God's people as it is referred to. I want you to notice what is said in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and look at verses 12 through 13. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 12 Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear, that they may learn to fear the Lord your God, and carefully observe all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. So we do see that the people gathered in the Old Testament times. There were Old Testament assemblies of God's people. And it is a good reference to the church that, as we know it. I also wanted us to notice in Scripture the use of the word or the phrase kingdom of God or also kingdom of heaven. Because this is also a precursor to the church. But as we look at it from our standpoint today, it still refers to God's people and it still refers to us. But the, the words kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven 
were used interchangeably to refer to a congregation of God's people. The kingdom is a reference to a people under the rule of an almighty God. We think of a king, a ruler of some kind, of some importance. And we think of his subjects as part of that kingdom. His kingdom is spread out over the land where those live that are subject to him. And in that same way, we see the church also. We see that we are subject to our king, God. And as long as we are subject to him, we are part of his kingdom. No matter where we live on the earth, we are part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was in existence during this time, uh, though it looked forward to the anticipated establishment of the church, which would be following the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The church would be established under the condition of faith in Christ as God's Son and that He died for the sins of the world. The church is the kingdom of God still in existence today. And a lot of the references that we had throughout the Gospels especially uh, can still apply to God's followers even in today's time. Jesus spoke many parables that helped to describe the kingdom of God. It is described as a growing seed, Mark 4, 26 through 29. And also a mustard seed in Mark chapter 4 and verses 30 through 32. We understand that it is difficult for a rich man to enter this kingdom, though not completely impossible. Matthew 19 and verse 24. But it is obtained by those who are poor in spirit. Matthew 5 and verse 3. In Matthew chapter 13 we read of several different ways that the church is described. It is described as a hidden treasure and a pearl of great price. Verses 44 through 46 which shows that, that God's church has great value. The kingdom of God had great value and should be of great value to us. Man was encouraged to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that is the end of my outline. Now i got to just go by memory. Great start. That's it. <laughs> Not over yet. So as we look at the, the church, we understand that it is described. There were a lot more illustrations. It's described as a growing seed. And, and we see uh, of how the kingdom of heaven is used in description of the wheat and the tares. And, and there are many other great lessons that involve the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Matthew is the only one that uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, I believe, which is interesting, but it refers to the same kingdom. But we are all followers of Christ, and we are part of the kingdom of heaven even today. Nicodemus, whenever Jesus spoke to him in John chapter 3, he spoke to him of the kingdom of God also. And the only way to enter into the kingdom of God is by Water baptism. 
And so as we look at that, we see that, that that's a reference also to something that we recognize today. And we'll look at that in a moment. But as we look at the kingdom of God, we do see that even though uh, the phrases precede the church, even in the establishment of the church, we are still part of the kingdom of God. Now, as we turn our attention to the church and how we understand the church to be, I want us to begin in Matthew 16. And we looked at this a moment ago as part of our scripture reading. But this is the promise that Jesus gave regarding His church. Now notice that, that as He is establishing the church, this is not many churches. And we understand that as we look at the church, that it only has one head, and that is Christ. And only those who are subject to Him, subject to God, are a part of that church. But Jesus promised the church to come. And as he spoke to his apostles in Matthew chapter 16, and beginning with verse 13, said this, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you? Say that I am. And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And it says in verse 20, Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus, the Christ. Now, Jesus promised that he would establish the church. And it's, it's also interesting to note how he begins this conversation. Who do men say that I am? And they thought of Jesus as maybe a great prophet of some kind. Uh, maybe he's John the Baptist. Maybe he's Elijah. Maybe he's Jeremiah. All these have passed. Maybe he's, he's one of them come back. But notice that this kingdom that Jesus spoke of was not of an earthly nature. People thought of him to be one of the prophets, but they didn't understand him to be the Son of God. Now when Jesus asked the question, Who do you say that I am? Peter was the one that spoke up. And Peter said, Most assuredly, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And again, giving reference to the kingdom not being of an earthly nature, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Flesh and blood made people think that 
that he was someone who had already been on earth. Maybe they had come back some way. But they didn't understand who he was. Peter had faith that he was the Son of God. He knew who Jesus was by faith. And so we were told about this church, a, a congregation of people, a, a gathering of God's people, His followers, a part of His kingdom. And He says, upon this rock. What was that rock? Many people believe the rock to be Peter, that Jesus founded His church on Peter. Uh, Peter was given the keys of the kingdom, and he had the opportunity. He was given two opportunities to open the doors of the kingdom. First of all, to the Jews in Acts chapter 2, and also to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. But it wasn't founded on Peter. The rock that Jesus spoke of was Peter's faith. Peter had faith. You are the Christ the Son of the living God. And upon that faith in Christ, His church would be founded. And as He tells Peter, we also understand this to be to the apostles, uh, at least from another reference, if, if not from this one. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The apostles were given the commission to carry the gospel into the world. And we are to, to follow their teachings. That's our authority. Uh, and so as we look at the church, we, we find that important. But Jesus promised his church. And as we talked about this morning, one of the great blessings that we have is God's faithfulness to his promises. And that promise was fulfilled. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We won't read the whole chapter. But we read of, of this sermon that Peter gives. Often referred to maybe as the, the first gospel sermon. And it was the first sermon preached in establishing the church. But I want to pick up with verse 36. And see how the church began. We reach a, a pivotal moment in this sermon. In verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter speaking to the Jews, he, he, he spoke to them and he said, You are the one, you crucified him. But now he is made Lord and Christ. And we see their reaction in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were sincere in, in what they were asking. They wanted to know what they needed to do to be a part of the kingdom of God. And in verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children 
and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. They were told what was necessary for them to become a part of this church. Repentance and baptism and doing those things, being obedient to this plan, they would be given remission of sins. Not until they had completed these things. But when they had repented and when they were baptized, they would receive the remission of sins. They were not just to be baptized, but they were to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we baptize people in the same way today. For the promises to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. In the next few verses of this chapter, we're told a little bit about the church going forward. Picking up with verse 40, it says this, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There are some key things that I want us to notice here. Those who gladly received the word were baptized. There is no question as to the necessity of baptism. They were told it was necessary and they did it. And it says that, that just that day alone, as they exhorted the people, as they encouraged them and told them about this church, 3,000 souls were added to them. You know, today there's, again, much question over whether baptism is necessary, but it was certainly necessary then. It would seem inconvenient to baptize 3,000-something souls, probably more, but they did it because it was necessary. It says also in verse 42 that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayer. And that's an example that we follow today. The apostles' doctrine we find here in God's Word. And we continue steadfastly in their doctrine. In the authority of the Scriptures, we do not go beyond God's authority. In our worship, in breaking of bread, in taking the Lord's Supper, in prayer, 
We continue in those things. Again, we follow this example. We are told that they continued daily with one accord. They were daily in each other's lives. I think that's also significant because it seems like the church has gotten away from that to some degree, especially in larger congregations when people don't know each other. But it can happen even in smaller congregations too. But we should be in one accord with one another. We should be in each other's daily lives. We should care for one another. We're family. And we also understand that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Those who were obedient to the gospel, those who were being taught and believed, and, and by faith they also repented. They confessed their faith in Christ and they were baptized for the remission of their sins. And as they did it, they weren't added by the church, they weren't added by the apostles, they were added by the Lord Himself. And so we have this example, an example that we follow today. If we want to be a part of the church, the kingdom of God, if we want to be His subjects, then we follow His authority. We do what He wants us to do. We live according to His will. We live faithfully. And as long as we do that, as, as long as we continue as a congregation of God's people, we are part of the church of Christ. Now, there are many things that, that seem to have changed over the years about the church. We often refer to ourselves as going to church. And I'm not saying that it's wrong. I say it too now and then. But we also understand that, that it's not just coming to services. That's not what the church is. The church is the people of God. And so we continue to... Meet. We gather as a congregation. We gather on the first day of the week. We also choose to gather on Wednesday nights and sometimes at other times, such as Friday nights for our singings and maybe other different events and, and things that we do. And when we come together, we are defined as the church of God, the kingdom of God. We are a gathering of His people and we continue as the Lord's church. Something that, that I also think is, is sometimes forgotten. There's an illustration, uh, a, a, a fable, Aesop's fable, I believe is what it is. But there's a, a fable, it's about a lion and three bulls. And a lion comes up on three bulls and he sees them together and he knows that he can't defeat those bulls. But he's sneaky. And so he go, comes up beside one of the bulls and, and talks about the other bulls in this one's ear. And so this bull doesn't want to be around these other bulls anymore and he turns away. So now there are only two left. And the lion comes up to the second bull and does the same thing. He, he whispers in the other bull's ear about the others. 
Well, he doesn't want to be around them either, so they, they all three separate. And the lion is able to defeat one bull at a time. But it's something that goes to show that there's strength in numbers. There's strength in unity. When we are together, when we are unified under a common purpose, there is strength in God's church. And if we want to see that strength, then we have to continue in that unity. It, it takes standing against different things. We have to stand against false teaching. We have to stand against uh, error and, and things of that nature. We have to stand against wrong attitudes and things of that nature. There are so many things that threaten to divide God's church. But as long as we are unified, and not just as this congregation, but as long as we are unified with the other congregations around us too, there is strength in unity. And it's something that we should see as important and something that we should continue in. So as we look at the church, we are an assembly, we are a gathering of, of God's people. And we should see the church as that. We are part of, of a promise that was given to the apostles that Jesus would establish His church, and He did. And Jesus has promised that He will return for us and we know that He will. It's important that we assemble together. It's important that we have that unity with one another, that we build each other up. And what better way to do that than to assemble with one another? But as we look at the church, we see it is something of great value, and it should be of great value to us, just as it is to God. I hope that you see it the same way that I do. Are you a part of the church? Have you been obedient? I believe the invitation song is trust and obey, if I'm correct. And certainly we need to trust God and obey Him. And maybe it is that you've not been obedient. Maybe you need to come to Him. Maybe you need to come in obedience, be baptized for the remission of your sins. Maybe you're not a faithful child of God. Maybe you need to come back to the fold. Maybe you need to rededicate and repurpose your life in service to only God. But if for some reason you're not a part of the church, God's kingdom, then we would encourage you to be a part of His church. If there's anything that we can do to assist you, we stand ready to do that. And together we stand as we stand.